You are listening to Worldwide Engineering. All right, Danny, Steven, uh, buddies, I appreciate you for coming on the podcast. I know it's early in Montreal right now. Uh, so first of all, thank you so much for making this happen together. It's our pleasure, man. We're happy to be here and happy to be invited onto your podcast. Yeah, so you guys are working on a really cool company called Pink Genomics, which is basically designed to help people understand about their bodies and the type of lifestyle they should live by studying their DNA. Can you tell us a bit more about uh, your company? What is it exactly? What is the technology that powers your product? And what exactly does it help people do in terms of understanding themselves and making smarter life decisions? Because you really are in one of the most emerging industries out there that I'm personally super passionate about and that I see so much potential in the future about that. So I really want to hear your thoughts about this. I'll, I'll hop into this. <laughs> so uh, yeah, basically what we do is we do genetic testing uh, through saliva. It's a, it's a super non-invasive, really easy procedure for, for collecting the saliva. Um, so it's like a little sponge. You go into the person's mouth, you basically collect, uh, you put the sponge on the bottom of the mouth 10 times on this side, 10 times, just like brushing your teeth 10 times on that side. And then you put the little sponge back into the chemistry that stabilizes the DNA. And then you send that to our lab. Lab analyzes, extracts, analyzes the DNA, and then gives us information about your genome. Now, obviously, when you extract DNA, you, there's a million things that you can analyze. There's like a bunch of different things. You can do diagnostics. You can do uh, analysis of uh, various, you know, just genetic traits. So you can do just a bunch of things. But what we focus on specifically is uh, fitness and nutrition as well as stress and, uh, and rest, like stress and sleep, for example. Um, and what we do with that information is we give people uh, sort of a blueprint or a guideline to what their body reacts best to in terms of diet, fitness, and how they would, uh, how they would react in a stressful or stressful situation in, gen in a general sense, because that one goes a little more in depth uh, and we can talk about it a little later, but that's in a general sense. Uh, the goal of that, the reason why we, we think it's, it's important for or the solution that we solve in, in, in our business is that mm -hmm. a lot of people approach the fitness world uh, basically blindly. You know, it, basically, if, if I was, for example, going into the fitness world for the first time in my life, I'm going to Google best way to lose weight. You know, mm -hmm. first things that pop up, six pack abs in 10 minutes or like, you know, how to lose weight in 30 days or all these generic workout plans and diet plans that are, are sort of tried and tested with a small group of population that worked for them, but might not work for me. And you know what? Chances are it's not going to work for me. So by having a blueprint of how my body works and what is going to react best with my body in terms of what are the types of nutrients I should be eating, what types of workouts I should be doing, should I do a high intensity interval training or should I do a, you know, slow, long distance run, you know? So If I understand how my body works, I'll understand how I can use this information to better myself on my on my health and wellness journey. Um, and by having this information about what reacts best with my body and how my body reacts best in different situations will allow me to maximize and optimize my workouts to not only get through my health and uh, my health and wellness journey faster, but to work on something that's sustainable and that I can maintain on a long term basis. What's interesting is that you guys decided to go with the fitness route, which is, which, is a, which is a great industry by itself. But just like you said, when you do have access to someone's DNA, in a sense, you're able to understand everything about them, not just the fitness. But that is kind of the, the, the angle you've taken with your company. But in the sense of DNA, when you have uh, access to someone's uh, genetic traits, you can literally understand most of what the person is you can know what kind of what the person looks like in a sense like their eye color their hair color their skin color you can understand their intelligence level you can you can really get a very good idea about someone on so many different aspects of their life but then i'm curious how much of let's take the example of fitness because that's what you guys are in how much how How much does DNA represent of someone's, their traits in a sense? So let's say, because there's a lot of variables that affect someone's lifestyle. Let's take the example of stress. How much of 
someone's stress level is attributed to genes compared to it attributed to the, someone's environment, someone's upbringing, someone's uh, lifestyle of eating. So how much would you categorize that in there? Yeah, maybe I can jump on it. So yes, Stephen. Like, that's actually a question that uh, a lot of our clients have or also a lot of our partners they have. Because when we introduce the product is that we say, we're going to analyze your DNA. We're going to be able to tell you a little more about you. So like Danny said, like our main goal is to reduce trial and error. But you also have to think about that. It's not like DNA is not your destiny, mm. meaning that it's not because you have the genes of a marathon runner that the next day you're like, okay, I have the genes of a mar marathon runner. I'm going to be able to run the marathon. Like there's also it's DNA, but it's also your environment. Like if you sp stay on your couch every day, and then you do our test, and then we tell you, oh, you have the potential of uh, becoming a marathon runner. If you've never trained yourself to it, you're not actually going to be able to achieve that. So it's a combination of environment and DNA. So, but when you know your genetics, you can actually influence better your environment to make sure that you, it works perfectly together. Mm -hmm. So it's, a, it's like, I'm not, I guess I could say it's a 50-50, but environment and DNA combine together and make who you are. So DNA is not your destiny. That's I guess the message that we that's always want to Yeah, that's that's true. It's like an equation. You need both to be to, to achieve something. I'd like to talk about about sleep a bit because I think sleep is one of the, the things that are not enough talked about in a culture of performance. You know, as individuals, our success in the 21st century culture is dependent on how productive we are in a sense and I think sleep is really something that's not talked about so what is it exactly about sleep that pink general mix can tell someone so that one's it's uh, that's one of the, the reasons why I said it's uh, it's a little more in depth it's in a general sense to talk about stress and sleep um, sleep has you know it's it's in itself is a complex sort of system okay like People think about sleep as just I close my eyes and I wake up, you know, or they're like I dream sometimes or, you know, if you want to go even just a little further, they'll talk about REM sleep or non-REM sleep, you know. And right. so what we what we we hit a few different uh, genes in in, uh, in the genomics of, of a person. Uh, and, you know, a few a few of these genes help us to analyze a person's ability to get deep sleep. You know, so different levels of sleep, even within REM and non-REM, there's different phases, right? Um, so, I mean, if you're going to talk about, uh, you know, non-REM sleep is when you're like in, in super deep sleep mode where it's yeah. hardest to wake somebody up, right? And then REM sleep is when somebody is maybe dreaming or it's easier to wake them up. Um, so, for example, if we can analyze somebody's ability to reach deep sleep, and when you reach deep sleep is when you have memory consolidation. For example, it's when you're thinking about your day, it's analyzing it, storing it into memories, turning it into maybe long-term memories, you know, if you're learning somebody's name, for example, it might be at that point that it's uh, storing it in, in your memory box in your brain, right? Um, and if somebody has trouble reaching uh, a deep state of sleep, that means that their level, and it's also, sorry, one of the, it's it's the point where your body is recovering the most, you know, like, mm -hmm. I don't know the specifics. I'm not a, I'm not a doctor myself. I don't know the specifics on to how your body and your muscles are, are recovering at that point. But deep sleep has been shown uh, to be one of the most important things to help your body recover, you know, for muscle recovery, for even memory recovery, for a bunch of different things. And if, if you have, for example, a gene that prevents you from achieving deep sleep, or if you don't, if you're part of a group of people whose genomic code doesn't prove that you have a long term of deep sleep or what people would might say a light sleeper. You might have trouble recovering. You might have trouble trouble with, uh, you know, memory consolidation. Maybe having trouble with, like, for example, uh, you know, storing the memories for the long term. It's it might not be something extremely significant. Where like, if for example today we're talking and then tomorrow I'm I'm gonna forget your name. It's not gonna be like to that level. But maybe somebody who has deeper sleep has maybe a better memory. Exact. I don't know exactly the correlation between the two. Uh, to, to what level of of and how in-depth it is for the, the connection between the two, but it's shown that deep sleep is related to memory consolidation and recovery of the body to a certain extent. So that means that if somebody doesn't have proper sleep, it means that their body isn't recovering at an optimal level, mm -hmm. you know? And if you know that information, 
if I told you, for example, hey, Leon, like your body doesn't recover well or you don't have a good sleep system because you're a light sleeper, you know, you have a hard time achieving a deep level of sleep. So then what we can do on an active side of it. So how can we mediate that? Right. It's well, okay. I don't achieve deep sleep. So what can I do? Well, there's a few things that you can take that will help you achieve deep sleep. For example, maybe taking melatonin, maybe taking GABA, you know, some some things that help promote deep sleep or maybe doing a meditation before you sleep just to help your brain waves relax and your your brain waves calm down. Maybe you should avoid coffee a little earlier, you know, maybe give yourself eight hours before you sleep to avoid having coffee completely just so there's no interaction between the, the caffeine protein, the caffeine molecule and, and the certain parts of your brain that get, you know, active during the sleep part. part. So knowing the that's one of the most important things for sleep is being able to achieve deep deep sleep you know being able to achieve it and then uh it's knowing if you can first of all achieve it and how can that benefit your body so if we if we did dive into it and we're like okay here these are things you should do to get deeper sleep you'll recover better maybe after a workout you know if you were to study long periods of time or do some long projects allow yourself you know to reach that deep level of sleep so your brain calms down you're fresh the next day you know, you're, you're hot on your feet, you're ready to go and some things to help you, you know, maintain that busy lifestyle of, of an entrepreneur and a student and all those, those things. You know? So, yeah. You know, I could really see how this could be of incredible value to someone because I come to a point in my life about three years ago where I started taking my sleep very seriously. I think I was having sleep problems. So what I invested in was actually an aura ring. Have you guys ever heard of the aura ring? No, I haven't. Oh, you haven't? It's it's like the most accurate sleep tracker in the industry. Uh, and it has like incredible sensors in it. Temperature, body temperature. Um, it can analyze your heartbeat, your HRV, heart rate variability. Anyways, a lot of things. And what this made me realize is that it made me realize a lot of patterns in my sleep that are unique to me. So, for example, I've realized that by nature, I get very little REM sleep. I'm good with the deep sleep side of things, but REM sleep, I'm always in the red zone. If you look at the daily charts they give you after every sleep, I'm always in the red zone. Whatever I do, caffeine, no caffeine, workout, no workout, um, stress, no stress, I'm always in the red zone. So those are the types of things which technology allows, which I find beautiful, is that it allows people to make more personalized decisions about their lifestyle depending on their body. You know? And... I'm actually curious, what is it, why did you guys choose to make, create a startup in that industry exactly? Do you guys have a background in either, um, how do you say, like medicine or do you have a background in entrepreneurship? What, if you guys can tell us a bit about both of you in a sense. I mean, are you talking specifically about sleep, sorry, or in... No, uh, just in general. DNA, genetics, like... Uh, about pink genomics. I, I, about pink genomics, yeah. I guess I could start. Um, I guess me and Danny, it's actually funny because uh, me and Danny, we met in, uh, I think it was our first or second year of uh, university um, mm -hmm. after an exam actually about biology. And uh, we got out of there and it was so hard. Like the exam was so hard. Everybody got out. They were looking at each other like, oh, <laughs> like you could see in everybody's face that they weren't sure if they passed or not or how well they did. You know? Sorry, let me just say how that exam was. We, we were sitting <laughs> down in an auditorium Okay, and then they would have the question up on the screen for like a minute or two, and you just have to answer the question. So if you don't understand, or if you didn't have a chance to read the whole question, you basically missed it, and, and they never go back. You know, so, no, oh yeah, it was so stressful, especially because you're coming out of high school into university. Like in high school, you have like 20 people, always the same 20 people. It's your friends, and then you go to university. There's 300, 500 people, and this is your first exam in the auditorium and you have a limited amount of time to answer the yeah. questions and uh anyway so we go out of there and then uh i'm just i think i was looking a bit depressed danny was looking a bit depressed other people were depressed <laughs> and we started talking and then that's how me and danny met you know like we won't get into the, the details of what we said because i'm not sure if it was appropriate about <laughs> but uh just to uh, go back to it so me, I have a, a bachelor in uh, biopharmaceutical science. Um, nice. Doing my bachelor, I did a specialization in genomics. Afterwards, I went to do a master's in bioinformatics. 
So bioinformatics suggests the uh, use of computer to really understand genetics. So in a broader sense, that's what it is. And I did my thesis there, uh, published a few papers. And then afterwards, um, I went to uh, Montreal to work on uh, a startup. Um, the startup was about uh, plants. So it's, I guess it's a bit of the same thing because we're looking at genetics and plants, how we can make sure they grow properly, et cetera. Um, we sold the, uh, the startup in 2019. And then uh, now I'm working for, well, for Pink mostly and uh, stuff like that. Um, I guess Danny can talk about himself, but uh, yeah, go ahead. It's yeah. cool. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's how that's how we, we actually Steve and I we had a we had a tutoring business together in. Maine. Oh yeah, I forget, I forget our first yeah. business. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> elephant tutoring. Elephant tutoring, yeah. So we started because we you know the, what we realized is that like we knew that the industry demands years of experience for people who have no experience. You know what I mean? And we're like. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, if the industry isn't going to give us experience, we're going to have to make it for ourselves. You know, we're yeah. going to have to sit here and figure out how we can create something for ourselves. So we put together a quick little, you know, a tutoring company. We used to go market ourselves at different high schools. We had oh, people yeah. volunteer under us, you know, and, and it, was, it was okay. Like we obviously didn't make a lot of money out of it. Danny, you got to say like it is. It is our first accessible failed business. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. there you go. <laughs> I still have our business cards, by the way. Yeah, I still have it. Like, I find it sometimes. Like, I remember I went back home, uh, I think a couple of months ago, and then my mom just showed it to me. She's like, oh, I remember this. I'm like, oh, wow. <laughs> Don't remind me, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so we, we went from there. And then after, like, I studied uh, cell bio with, also I did a, a few years in specialization in, in genomics as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and then after graduating, I went straight into the industry. I worked for the government for a little while. Um, and then after that, I went to the private industry where I worked for a genetic testing company. Mm-hmm. Um, and then at that company, what I would do is basically consult with a lot of researchers and doctors on how they can utilize genetic testing technology to run their projects. And, uh, you know, from there, it gave me a lot of insight on how this technology can be applied and what do people look for when they when they do it? Like what kind of tests, What are, what's interesting out there? So I kind of kept kept me on top of the industry and then you know I, I started talking with Steve one day and then we got into a discussion about like hey how can we utilize this how can we benefit from it you know what I mean so we mm-hmm. talked about it well we both like fitness both like health so like let's see if we can help people on the health industry side you know and then we realized that well it's a it's a well-known thing in the genetic world that genetic testing can be used for predetermining certain diseases you know and and one of the most uh, predetermined one or the most accurate test for predisposition is breast cancer you know and okay. then obviously we like our moms you know i'm going to say everybody loves yeah. their mom right so we're like okay well let's see if we can help people out by finding out if they have a predisposition to breast cancer you know since it's super accurate it's been shown to like if you do have a certain bracket gene a certain uh, uh, uh mutation in, in that gene then you're at higher risk by like 80 to 90%. You know what I mean? And right. obviously lifestyle plays a small role. Like you were asking about lifestyle versus genetics, which how does mm-hmm. it uh, influence somebody's life? Well, that one, it's highly genetic, uh, genetically uh, predisposed. Like it, it's highly genetically influenced. Okay. Yeah. And I think Danny, sorry to interrupt you, but I think you, you're actually mentioning a very good point here is that all of our tests, they don't actually tell you it's not, we don't say you're going to have this because you have the mutation. It's you have the mutation, so you're more prone to to a certain level. So right. there's always that distinction you have to think. I think that's what he was saying about BRCA1, BRCA2, is that people that have a certain mutation are more prone to develop breast cancer. Mm-hmm. So it's not because you have the mutation they are actually going to have breast cancer. So there's always a small distinction that you have to think about. Yeah, that's go ahead. Sorry to disturb. Yeah. So I mean that's uh, we can we can dive into it a little after uh, you know I see I see you got interested. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. If you so, guys can go ahead. Yeah, so I'll just uh, yeah I'll just tell you like how we got started. So, but then we realized for 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 doing anything that's diagnostic related, there's a lot of regulations around it. Like it's it's very it's it's a little tough to to dive into it, uh, especially if you don't have the the financial backing to support you. Especially if you want to sign up for you know as a accredited institution that gives people diagnosis you have mm-hmm. you need to do a lot of uh, registrations it takes a lot of money it costs millions of dollars you know and we're like okay well we're two guys with no money how are we going to make that happen you know so we we scrapped that we kept it on the back burner but what we dove into more is uh, health and fitness well fitness stress and uh nutrition 
And then from there, we, we did a lot of research. You know, we understand the research, how it's done, how it's applicable. And then we put it all together and founded uh, Pink Genomics the way that it is today. What I really find incredible is how accessible this technology has become in the last 10 years. You know, 20 years ago, it would have costed millions of dollars to get your gen genome sequenced. You know, it would have costed might not millions, but it was probably a, a really, a really uh, challenging task to do that. But today you can do it for a few hundred dollars. There's a bunch of companies like Pink Genomics that are that really specialize in that industry. So, uh, and that's the beautiful thing about technology is how quickly it advances and how a lot of times I find that it serves humanity for the better. You know, this technology, which is something I'd love to dive into in a few minutes, which is how this new revolution which is happening, which is personalized medicine, where you're going to start receiving diagnostics from the doctor. It can either be a physical doctor and an AI doctor based on your genomes. So for now, your doctor is not, gonna, not just going to prescribe you some, you know, some template type of uh, me medication, but then it's going to become personalized for what works for your body. And all those things are possible because of this technology, which is uh, understanding someone's DNA. So to talk about this a bit, what is it exactly about that technology that made it so accessible in the last decade and that really brought the cost down of analyzing someone's DNA? Yeah, I'd say like uh, one of the reasons like that we, uh, that I personally think that technology has gone to the point where we're able to do this for just a couple of hundred dollars is computers. It's just technology. It's like we're able to sequence something and analyze it so quickly, like millions of millions of pairs in just a couple of minutes, couple of hours sometimes. So because of that and all the machines that we're doing, like we can go into details about that, but just technologies allow us to take something that's so huge. Because before, when the first genome happened, it's like actually people had to do like small pieces of small pieces of the genome but now we have computers that can actually analyze this really quickly. And that's what we do in bioinformatics. And like, for me, like the way computer has brought to a, like 10 years ago, like you, you would never think that you could have a supercomputer on your phone, like right. in the hand of exactly like a, an iPhone is so powerful. You can do so much thing on it. And now we can actually use this technology and then use it for DNA, analyze DNA, stuff like that. So it's really brought to a, how quickly the technology advances and how quickly computers are to analyze like large sets of data that allow us to uh, do something so quickly and rapidly. So you're saying it's mostly the uh, the computing power that allowed this. I think it's because I'm, yeah, I'm sure you get millions of data points, and that's actually something I'm curious about. When you do when you do send the the, the saliva to the lab, basically, mm -hmm. how how do they give you the data? How does the data come? Does it come in yeah. like a huge Excel sheet? What exactly so what, do, you, what, do you see? Yeah, yeah. So so what we because uh, the beauty about what we do is that we don't actually or you can't, I said the beauty of it just because <laughs> I love what I'm doing. But <laughs> what we actually do is that we don't sequence your whole genome. So because there's multiple research going on right now, there's a lot of regions that we know that are more prone to certain things. So these, these regions, these are the regions that we're gonna sequence, and these are the regions that we're gonna analyze. So just to give you a little bit of background, you have your DNA, and throughout the year, through uh, mutations, um, your DNA sequence might change. And a change in DNA sequence is called a variation, also called uh, SNP. So single nucleotide um, polymorphism. So just a variation, SNP. So what we look at is all those SNPs that have been linked to certain traits. So these are the, uh, what we're gonna sequence. So we're gonna have 600,000 of different SNPs that we think, well, the, the community of uh, the research community is actually looking at. So these are the 600 and I would say it's about 700,000 but these are the regions that we are going to sequence. And this is what we analyzed. Yeah, so, so what we do is that uh, our platform, what it does is analyze multiple SNPs. So six, six to 700 SNPs, six or 700 SNPs, yes. And those variants are what we analyze. So when we look at your genome, 
when we say that uh, you have a mutation in your gene, is we're looking at a specific region where we know that where a mutation is going to occur is going to affect your gene, which is going to affect the protein, which is going to affect your body. So that's what we look at. So we don't sequence your whole genome. We sequence small regions where we know that it's going to impact your body. Uh, okay, so you're specifically looking for those hints that are going to give exactly, you... Exactly, yeah. Uh, okay, yeah, because that, that, makes, that makes a lot of sense. Exactly, so, that, so that's what we're able to, uh, sorry, that's what we're able to uh, provide it, provide you information so quickly. Like, let's say, uh, like most of the our competitors, they'll come and they'll be able to do it in uh, seven to eight weeks, where us, we do it in two weeks. Like, there's all the factors too about our volume, the way we do it, our operations, but like, like the majority, like if you go to sequence, like let's say for uh, ancestry and stuff like that, you send it, usually takes like six to seven weeks to actually receive your data but for us the way we do it we are only doing it in two weeks but we have the same amount of data we have the same like they, they use the same technique but that's what we do it we can actually right. use their their uh, reports to analyze yeah. fitness and nutrition that too yeah our platform is compatible with uh, most of our competitors well not they're not competitors because not tapping the uh, fitness market but all of uh, 23andme ancestry and uh, all of those uh, ancestry platforms, yeah. Yeah, so that's that's actually, I like that example, Danny, uh, Stephen, sorry, because um, it's interesting how, like, for example, let's say you were looking for a screwdriver in your house. Instead of looking in every single room in the kitchen, you open the closet, you, you look under your socks. All you do is just, you just go to the garage where you have your toolbox. So that's what you're basically doing with, uh, with, with you know, you, you spot those specific things that will give you information. Exactly, yeah. One thing that I really want to talk about, which I've been excited about all day to talk about you, um, which is about the future technologies that are going to be shaping this whole uh, gene editing industry. What are some of the leading technologies that are going to help us basically understand our genome, but more specifically, edit them so that we humans can live better, longer and healthier lives? Yeah, I mean, I we can. Uh, sorry, I thought Steve froze for a second. <laughs> no, no, I was gonna say something, but then I saw you coming towards think, the camera, so I'm like, okay, he's gonna talk. I think he had a moment of contemplation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I just wanted, I just wanted to jump in and say, like, gene editing, like uh, as we know it today, uh, is not. It, it's something that that humans have been doing for a really long time. You know what I mean? In terms of like, if we think about the domestication of animals, you know, from uh, wild wolves to domestic dogs, you know, and we were essentially when people were breeding dogs for uh, for the purpose of domesticating them, they were doing gene editing, basically, maybe not at the molecular level or at the cellular level, but they were doing it by traits, you know, like, let's look at what traits, let's take the most docile dogs and let them breed together, you know, so they're editing by doing that, you're basically deleting all the wild dog or wild wolf genes and mm -hmm. and you're preferring the ones that are more docile the ones that are more friendly the ones that are more you know lovable and and can live in a house basically so i mean for it's been a long time that people have been doing these uh these gene editing techniques just not as in depth as we've we can do it today you know even if we think about uh i think it's mendeliev you know his is or uh I don't know his name exactly. It's been like 10 years. I haven't read it, but he used to basically, uh, he used to grow uh, peas, you know, like uh, green, green peas. And he used to grow them either for green peas or yellow peas. And by mixing different genes together, by like maybe cutting a stem, putting a root here, putting a seed here, different seedlings, growing them together, he would see the types of uh, peas that would grow in, in his garden. You know, so that's also... Uh -huh. In editing that's where it came from that's the the history of where it stems from but what we have today is obviously way more advanced and way more technical and we can actually do it at the cellular level um you know and, and the technology as you know is obviously it's, it's called crispr uh the technology that we use today or scientists use today to uh modify the genetic code or to use it to you know uh cut out insert delete different parts of a person's genome you know, it's it's a really cool technology, but I think it goes with the disclaimer to say that like uh, a lot of people ha are scared about it. You know, they think that, for example, 
maybe the vaccines might have it. You know, now is very relevant time to talk about it because of COVID, because of all of that. People are scared of like, oh, what's an mRNA vaccine? What's this and that? Like people are think think that the government is there trying to, you know, I'm not. I don't want to get into you know specific about it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, political yeah. things behind behind that. But like a lot of people have a fear of vaccine just because it's a huge unknown, you know. And we can we can blame the government for not properly educating the population about what vaccines are and what they do. And we can even blame the media for you know putting a lot of emphasis on research that doesn't really have a lot of backing. You know, like I don't want to get into that too much right now. But those are some things that we can yeah. we can say like people are the fear behind gene editing, you know, is that can it be used to hurt me? You know, and people obviously are scared of things that they don't know. And now what we can do is we can dive into it to maybe explain it just a little better for, for whoever's the, your listeners are, you know. Exactly. I think that's where you guys come in. I, th I think everyone has heard of the term CRISPR, but very little of us actually understand what it is exactly. So if you can give us like the broad definition of how does it work exactly? Mm -hmm. I think uh, the best way to describe it is actually uh, to go back into history and then tell you how it, it came to be. So it was actually two women that discovered it. And like most scientific research, like all the best research that were done by luck, you know, you're looking for something and then you have something else. And that's how you find something that's better. You're like, oh, wow. You know, Albert Einstein and that put that falls in your head type of thing. But uh, so then what they were doing is that they were looking at bacteria and they wanted to know how the uh, viruses were coming in and how they were infecting and how bacteria were reacting to it. So CRISPR, the way it is, is a sequence of DNA in your body. And then when a, a, a virus comes in, it has a mRNA inside of it, it goes inside your cell. And CRISPR, what it does is that it's going to have a sequence of DNA that's exactly the same sequence that's in the virus. So you have this sequence of DNA, you have KS9, which is a protein that's going to attach to the CRISPR sequence, and it's going to be looking for that exact same sequence within the virus. And once it finds the same sequence in the virus, it's going to snip the DNA of the virus, And this is actually going to kill, if I can say, the virus. It's going to protect the bacteria against the virus. So CRISPR originally is a method of defense from the bacteria to a virus. But then if you think about it, okay, so if you can have this DNA actually attack the virus and protect yourself from a virus, when I say yourself, I'm talking about bacteria here, what could you do in a human body? Could you actually go and find, like for us, like we know that there are certain variation, like Danny was talking about uh, BRCA1, BRCA2. So let's use that example. So what if you knew the sequence of BRCA1 and BRCA2 that could give you cancer genes, uh, cancer, and you put it inside a CRISPR sequence, then you have your KS9 protein attached to it, and it's going to look for that same region within a person that has cancer or potentially more prone to have cancer, snip that region, and we replace that region with a sequence of a person that is not prone to have cancer. So that was the idea behind uh, CRISPR. You have this sequence that you know that it could be prone to a certain disease. You replace this with a sequence that is more favorable for you. And that way you can eradicate the disease inside of it. But, you know, there's always stuff that you have to think about because right now what CRISPR is being used of or what it's thought of being used for is for medication purposes. Right. So it's not actually going to go down from generation to generation, like it's on somatic cells and not uh, like an uh, embryo and stuff like that. So you're actually treating a person. So in order to eradicate a disease, you will have to eradicate all of the cells that have that sequence of DNA. Yeah, you're, you know, you are. I'm actually thinking about it. I'm, I'm thinking about what you said because it's extremely interesting and I never thought about it. So you're saying, let's say you end up editing a gene in me that, that let's say, that uh, that's going to allow me to live an extra few years because I won't get Alzheimer. Let's say, let's throw an example out there. Um, so if you do edit that gene and I do end up having kids in a few years, that gene will not go down through my generations no no because the way it works uh. is that you have two types of cells 
you know, we're productive. I'm going to say easy term, we're productive cells and then your regular cells. And your regular cells are the cells that are in your body doing your function and everything. And reproductive cells, sperms, ovules, all of those, these are the ones that are going to be down, passed down from generations to generations. So when you're actually um, modifying something in your body, it doesn't pass down to generation because it's not those reproductive cells. Like let's say you you go outside and then you burn your skin, okay, because of the UV lights. You know, you know that something's going to happen, but it's not because you have like a modified cell because they were done with UV that your kids are actually going to have it. So I know it's a, it's really a broad idea and I'm really extrapolating, but that's the idea behind it. So when we actually modify something with CRISPR, like in a medication type of way, we're not actually affecting the next generations. Okay. Okay. Interesting. That's, but that's, if I can add, sorry. Yeah. Like that, that's the big, the big controversial about CRISPR is that we can actually do it in an embryo stage. And if you were to do it in an embryo stage, which are the, the, first, cult, the first cells, then it would be passed down from generation to generations. And this actually has oh, been there done once in, like a, in China by a scientist. And then there was a big controversial because he did it and there was actually twins I think they were called uh, Lulu and Nana that actually were born from a CRISPR like modification. And then I remember them, that, yeah. Exactly. So them, very them, if they were to live and then they would have a mutation and we don't know about it, this mutation would be passed down from generation to generation because it was done in an embryo and not in somatic cells. There you go. That makes a lot more sense. I was confused for a second because I remember that there's an experiment going on right now, I believe it's in Florida, where they released 50 million mosquitoes that, ha that had an edited gene. And what they're doing there is that they edited the mosquitoes, I think they were female mosquitoes, in a way where there, any kids they get in the future are going to be sterile, sterile. So they won't be able to have kids. So over two, three generations, they're going to eradicate an entire colony of mosquitoes. And I'm assuming that was done using basically CRISPR technology where they were able to modify the embryos of those mosquitoes. Yeah, um, honestly, I haven't heard about it. So I, I don't want to say anything if it was done through CRISPR and stuff like that, but probably, I don't know, Danny, if you heard about it. No, I haven't. But I, what I wanted to mention is uh, the ethics behind CRISPR, you right. know, like cause we're talking about the embryo uh, modification and, and some things about that. And so like... If, if talking about it in general, you know, your first thing might be like the ethics you might think or my first impression would be like, well, you know, the ethics behind it say that, you know, if you're going to do a designer baby is what they call it. You know, if you can choose what you want to delete and what you want to insert in, in, into a gene, and then it's like, well, that's an ethically incorrect. You know, like just like the twins that were born in, in China, people are going to be like, well, how are you editing a baby? You know, what are you doing here? Maybe you're going to kill it. Maybe you're going to hurt it. But like all these different things. Right. Right. But then the ethics actually goes to on the, on the flip side is if we have this technology available and we don't use it to help prevent certain diseases, are we allowing people then to die while we know that there's a preventative measure that we can do about it? You know what I mean? So people think that it's one way, but it's actually, I think, the other way, you know, where it's, well, I mean, if, if for example, I knew that, you know, this person's kid are all going to have you know, uh, a genetic disorder of cancer, for example, you know, cancer at, at a young age, right? Now, what, pa what parent wants to deal with that? Nobody, right. you know, God forbid, nobody wants their kid to have cancer at a young age. So if I knew, if we knew coming in and that this embryo is going to turn into a human and that human at seven, eight, nine years old is going to develop cancer and we can do something about it with this technology called CRISPR, would it be unethical to not help that baby and that, not help the embryo? You know what I mean? So that's why the ethics are, are really tough because it's like, okay, we have this technology we know can modify a person's genomic makeup, right? But it's like, sure. okay, do we continue making it? Because this can be used to make superhumans. It can be used to make, you know, all these next level sci-fi things. That's right. And it can ruin the, the makeup of humanity, okay? Ruin our million years of evolution that we've come, come with, you know? 
I would actually wanted to sorry I actually wanted to jump on that because that's a that's a really interesting thought that you brought up here. Um, it's the the controversial really becomes and that's where the gray zone gets created, where you have where you go into what's the difference between curing and enhancing someone. So where you're curing children, just like you said, that have the potential of developing cancer in the late future. Versus enhancing someone where instead of where you can start enhancing certain traits such as intelligence, uh, beauty, uh, running speed, for example, in the context of fitness. So that's where it really gets tricky. And I don't know how we still have, we as a society, we're still in a way in a in an area where we don't know how we're going to be dealing with that because there aren't really any rules and regulations in place to deal with that. But I do think. It's inevitable where we start reaching a point where we're going to start creating designer babies. Uh, that might be a bit controversial what I'm saying, but I do think by the way we're heading with technology right now, we are going to reach a point where designer babies are going to be the norm and and being born the natural way is going to make you subject to a lot of diseases and a lot of things that are un, unappealing as a human being. You know what I mean? No, definitely. Like even right now, like we don't think about it, but we're already doing something similar. Like let's say if we talk about Down syndromes, mm. like when a, a a woman is pregnant, you do a test uh, at one point to know if your baby has certain diseases, and then at that point you could terminate the life of the baby if you wanted to. Like in that stage, right? It's so we don't want to use the term baby because okay, sorry, sorry, (laughs) humanizes uh, yeah, so you could terminate the embryo at that stage, and you know, so we're already doing something similar. It goes back to what you're saying is that we're already selecting people or selecting embryos. Sorry, Danny, (laughs) we're already selecting (laughs) embryos based on genetic diseases that they could have. So, you know, we're slowly getting there, and it's like you said, at one point, this is this might be become the, the norm where we're like, okay, well, I could prevent my baby from having this and that and that. I want babies with blue eyes. I want baby with uh, speed. I want baby that are tall, seven feet tall. And then, you know, it, it's, really, it's really a controversial area. But at the end of the day, like I think that the best way for the government to actually approach it is to allow scientists to actually research it mm-hmm. and put norms around it. Because if they don't, there's a billionaire somewhere that's going to pay millions and millions of dollars to find this technology. And once he's going to find it, he's going to own it. And then what is he going to do about it? Is he going to control the whole country? Is he going to have an army of superpower people, like a super Saiyans and stuff like that? Like, we don't know what's going to happen, you know? So it, it is a controversial area, but definitely, like, it's going to move forward. So it's inevitable, but we have to find norms to really look around it and make sure that it goes forward in the right way so that it actually helps people and not enhance uh, other stuff. In a sense, what Danny mentioned, which is that it might completely destroy thousands of years of evolution of human beings, but you can also look at it in a way where this is the next evolution phase for human beings. You know, because we humans have not evolved on the genetic level in the past 10,000 years. You know, we're living modern, we're living in modern societies, but as uh, prehistoric individuals. You know, we have right now the same genes living in mega cities as our ancestors had living in the African savanna. You know, and there's a problem there. And I do think that those technologies will be an opportunity for us to break out of those ancestral genes and basically help design humans of the future that have the traits that will basically help us become a better species as a whole. You know, and the other way that we could see it is that we don't necessarily need to enhance ourselves, but just protect ourselves against certain diseases so that we can move forward. Like let's say right now, like the, the big topic is COVID-19, but what if we could develop a CRISPR that would attack certain genes in your body that will allow you not to have COVID-19. Like it's a huge pandemic. Like we were stuck in the lab spirit for a whole year just because of one virus. But what if we could use CRISPR to 
eradicate this whole thing. Like we just sequence it. We know where it is. We go into right. your body. We give everybody that vaccine and then that's it because we have that CRISPR thing. And then all the variation of that virus could also potentially be treated at the same time. So it is like CRISPR could actually become the next thing where it allows us maybe not to evolve, but to live longer, to not die of uh, one virus so that, uh, you know, it, it's really a big subject too. It is. Yeah. What do you think I mean, then? What, like, uh, I mean, ge like genetic manipulation of, of you know, our, our genome is, is one thing, but there's also like, you know, I think in 20 years time, you know, maybe in our lifetime, for sure in our lifetime, but yeah. beyond which is, is even like more of a higher probability uh, that like people are going to have, you know, people are going to basically become cyborgs, man. Like there's going to be, we're already tied to our phone 24 seven, you know, it's like an extension of our brain. You know, tell me the last time you remembered a phone number by heart, you know, and it's like, nobody knows, nobody knows a phone number, you know? And yeah, yeah, yeah. everybody knows one phone number, which I is mean, I mean, as of recent, <laughs> okay. no, I'm not, I'm not talking about like your own phone number or somebody's number that you knew for a long yeah, time. I agree. Like, yeah, yeah. Like a, like people I used to know as a kid, I used to remember like my house number, my, you know, everybody's phone number that I knew you used to just dial it and you knew it by heart, you know, but now like your phone is an extension of your brain. It has, yeah. it's, it's, it's like another memory storage place. It's like, well, I don't need to remember it. I got my phone, you know? So, I mean, at some point I feel like, you know, we're, we're sort of semi cyborgs now, you know, but yeah. we're going to get to a point where it's going to be more integrated into who we are. Just like, you know, Elon Musk is working on Neuralink and, trying to put a new whole skull onto your brain and just like help you what's supposed to be, you know, for people that have Alzheimer's or Parkinson's or, or, you know, uh, suffer from seizures and stuff like that, but also like can be used for, you know, increasing memory, for example, or making people stronger or whatever it is, you know? And I feel like, you know, we're going to reach a point where like gene editing is going to be a tiny part of a much bigger thing of human enhancement, you know? And okay. Yeah. I feel like, honestly, I feel like it's the only way the future is going to happen. Like that's, but you know, I'm actually thinking about what you're saying right now. <laughs> and then what I'm thinking is that if it does become something of a norm, then how much is it going to cost? Like, who is it going to be available to? Like, are only the rich people going to be able to afford it? Like, is it gonna... I, like, just like anything, any new technology is yeah. first only available to the rich people or people that have the means right. and ability to, to buy, just like TVs used to only be for for rich people you know but now it's like anybody can afford it i know but like for me like it's something like something physical and then something about your body and then your life like let's say if i was super rich no i'm actually not going to talk about me let's say somebody's super rich because <laughs> i was going to say something bad so <laughs> let's say somebody's super rich and then he discovered CRISPR, and then he discovered how not to age mm. like that's powerful information he yeah. can actually decide who lives longer who doesn't yeah like when you think about it it's uh you could yeah yeah you could i think the 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 what's beautiful about uh the world we live in which is the free market and capitalism is that inventions always find their way to the bottom of the food chain if you want to call it a food chain it always finds its way to the bottom for the only reason that this is where most of the money money lies you know it's when you're able to offer a product to the general population you know samsung and lg only created only were able to create cheap tvs so that they can grow their business at the end of the day so that's why and it's a really interesting topic it's a, it's an incredible topic and and it it could it it opens opportunities but also dangers because for example in china and in France right now, actually, I made a post about that about a month ago. In France, uh, the government really recently granted approval to start using gene editing to help soldiers recover from warfare, you know. And in China, they're using it the other way around, where they're actually enhancing people, you know. So, so, sorry. It's just they're gonna, they're creating a bigger, better, smarter, stronger, faster individuals that are primed for warfare, and that's where that's that's something maybe we can use that just to touch on a final note. 
that's where things get tricky. It's when you have start having different governments competing against the same technology. In a sense, so let's say the U.S. bans enhancement technology for CRISPR, where you can only use it to cure but not to enhance. Now, what ends up happening is that in China, where they don't follow the same rules, for example, you can have they can start enhancing their soldiers there and their people. And then all of a sudden you have people in China are much smarter than the people in the U.S. and in the Western world. So all of a sudden China is taking over the market and all those things. So that's where we're going to react and all of a sudden this, the government's going to open up this technology because at the end of the day, it's a game of competition. So that's why I was saying in a sense where it is inevitable where we're going to start having designing individuals just like we design the body of our cars, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with you. And I think it's interesting whenever... Uh countries or industries compete because that's when some of the greatest advancements in technology happen you know like yeah. if you look at for example in in the time where uh you know the russia and the us were racing to get to the moon you know and some of the greatest technological rocket technology was it was developed in that point in time you know it's because of competition it's because of uh you know people want the bragging rights to say that we were the first to the market to ever create this you know or we were the first to achieved this or achieved that you know and the thing is like maybe 20 30 40 years later what they had achieved is such a tiny like tiny part of a much bigger thing you know and that's why i think it's important to have these competitions between countries between industries because i feel like it's it's a sort of a fun way to figure out what works and what doesn't in the fastest way possible because everybody wants to be the first to do something right and like it's uh if people ban it because of ethical reasons, it might be because of a lack of understanding as to what what can be done with this technology or, or a fear of, okay, well, if we do this, then maybe it's going to hurt a certain population. Like, for example, if China is using this to build, build soldiers, you know, um, these soldiers are still human at the end of the day. What happens after the war? You know, what's going to happen after they're done their training, after they're done? Like, are they, are they going to be sort of, prisoners of war for the rest of their life are they going to be shackled to this name of prisoner because they've invested money and technology into them or are they going to be allowed to be freed from it after they're done their their time in the military you know like are they less human or like like it's still a human what's this guy going to do with all these gene editings you know like he doesn't need to be whatever you know whatever the genes are like he's not going to need them when he's a 50 year old man sitting on his couch, you know, or are they expecting all these guys to go into war and they just want to have them in a disposable way? Like, okay, you're going to go fight and die. You're going to go fight and die. You're going to go fight and die. Like, so then they don't have to worry about the long term, you know? So it's, it's interesting about how, how it's going to be utilized. But I think that also there has to be some sort of guidelines and limitations as to how the technology is applied, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Those are all really good questions. Those are all really good questions. And we'll see, man, how how the world evolves in the next decade. But until then, guys, um, where would you like to send people if they want to learn more about you guys, if they want to learn more about Pink Genomics? What's the best place people can go to? They can go on our website, www.pinkgenomics.com. That's P-I-N-K-G-E-N-O-M-I-X.com. Or follow us on Instagram, P-N-K. G-E-N-O-M-I-X, Pink Genomics. Uh, and that's pretty much it. <laughs> yeah, that's where people will be able to learn how to get their own genome tested and they're going to get data over their own body, which I absolutely recommend. Anyways, you guys, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for having uh, Thank you for having <laughs> us. It was a pleasure. Had a good time, guys. <laughs> yeah, too, man. It was really fun.